Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, I want to start today's show picking up sort of where we left off yesterday with regards to Mason Crosby, because what will go down in his career as one of the more emotional, one of the more memorable games of his career for everything that went into it in the bigger picture Turns out there was a little bit more to the story. And what I'm talking about is that 47-yard field goal in the snow on the slick field in the second quarter, which at the time uh, extended the Packers' lead over the Giants. It was actually outside the range that had been communicated to the head coach for where the line was, the line of scrimmage the Packers needed to get to. And yet... Mason Crosby gave the head coach the thumbs up. He's like, all right, I got this. Yeah. And he went out and nailed it. Yeah, it's incredible. If you take away everything else we discussed and what he was dealing with off the field, just in terms of the actual mechanics of a field goal operation, <laughs> it's challenged because the conditions that Crosby kicked in before the game had changed. Yeah. And yeah, they the went pregame having, warm-up was completely different than what he was dealing with in the second yeah, quarter. Yeah, they had rain, and I think it, uh, one of the reporters tweeted out, I mean, he had made from 53, but it was raining then, and the field was you know clear. Well, by the time he went out there in the second quarter for this actual 47-yarder that, that counts, uh, now he was dealing with the snow on the field. It's a field turf conditions and everything else that was happening at the time with the wind and whatnot, and Crosby nails it. it it's one of those things that when you look at 31-13, to 18-point difference in score, it doesn't seem like that big of a, uh, you know, a play, yeah. so to speak. But again, as you kind of illustrated, when you go back to that moment, it was a pretty critical time for the Packers to get three points on the board to, to get some production there. And Crosby, as he always has done, uh, came through. Well, certainly when you look at the fact that in the third quarter the game was 17-13, to 13, those three points were, uh, were crucial at that time. He had, uh, just to sort of give everybody the details of it, what had been communicated to Matt LaFleur was that the target line going in that direction with the conditions and everything, they had estimated the Packers needed to get to the 27-yard line, which would be a 45-yard field goal. That was the range. The Packers had fourth down. It was either fourth and eight or fourth and ten. I'm not sure exactly. But they were on the 29-yard line. They were two yards two yards out. And Matt LaFleur said in his press conference on Monday, he said, well, I at least wanted to ask him. Because if he didn't feel comfortable, he wasn't going to send him out there to try it. But he asked him, he said, hey, Mason, can you get it there? And Mason gave him, uh, gave him the thumbs up and went out there and made the kick. And uh, obviously he made all four of his extra points from the 33-yard distance. But here's my question for you, Wes. I was trying to think about this. Crosby had those two 50-plus-yard field goals in Dallas in the playoffs, right? He had an overtime winner against San Francisco last year. He had a chip shot you know, last second win, won against Detroit this year. He had that big 48-yarder in the NFC Championship in Seattle that got that game to overtime after the Packers had blown the lead. He kicked a walk-off game winner in the first game yeah. of his NFL career in 2007. I'm trying to figure out, like, where where does this 47-yarder in the snow, no, it wasn't the fourth quarter, no, it wasn't the game winner, but with all of the circumstances surrounding it with his family and everything that has gone on over the last several months, 
I'm trying to, you know, figure out where, where to rank this one. I think it goes somewhere in the top five or six of his career. Um, and I don't even know if he would necessarily have an answer to that question, but it's an interesting one for a guy with a very decorated career. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put it on the Mount Rushmore uh, because you look at that NFC divisional game in Dallas. Oh, I yeah. think that is his those, highlight. Those two, those two kicks back-to-back, you know, late in the fourth quarter, those were well, three kicks as it yeah, turned out because right. of the one that the timeout was called, but yes. But, you know, for him to make it, th- th- that had huge implications for the Packers to get to an NFC Championship game. If Mason Crosby, the Packers make the Super Bowl in 2014, in the, f- you know, in 15, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That would have been a no- high notebook item. That would have been a sidebar. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Crosby making that kick. No one ever talks about it in terms of difficulty. And he, and and he was five for five that day as well. Right. Now, a couple of those were short ones, but he had a couple of long ones that day in Seattle, including the 48 yarder right at the end to tie it yeah, and, and get it to over three in the first half, right? To get yeah. to 16 to nothing. But yeah. yeah, Packers, you know, they they need to rely on their kicker that day and their kicker stepped up. Here's so many times you hear a team draft a left tackle and they always use the phrase, You're, you, this is a guy that can be a left tackle for a decade, uh, 12 years. You know, this is going to be your franchise. You can plug him in there. You're not going to think yeah. about it again. You plug think, and play. You think about, you know, going back over the years with the, the Chad Cliftons, although that was a second rounder, Brian Balaga, you're set. No one ever discusses a lot what it means to have a kicker who can just be put in there for 10, 15 years and you don't have to think about it. I think you saw this year with the New England Patriots, what they're dealing with right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Steven Gaskowski gets hurt earlier in the season, and then you know they're in a position where they're cycling through all these different kickers because – you know, there just aren't that many guys, Mike, that can do it at that level, that have the leg talent, ability, and accuracy, and then on top of that, have this ironclad reserve to be able to just tone everything out and do the job and execute it under just incredibly pressure-packed situations. I yeah. mean, we're talking about guys here, Mike, that play 10 snaps a game, 8 snaps a game. Most of their day is spent sitting on the sideline waiting for a chance to impact the football game positively or negatively. You also, I, I go back to Adam Venateri earlier this season when he was really yeah. struggling, and it was sort of intimated that, okay, he might just retire. He's 46, 47, whatever it is now. This is maybe it. The Colts went to him and said, no, we need you. Yeah, we Even need you. Even despite some of the things they're struggling with, and, we need you And he's And he's still, he's still struggling. He's still yeah. trying to battle battle through some things and help out that team that's trying to make the playoffs. But someone mentioned in Insider Inbox lately, like, hey, does it is it just me, or does it seem like there's more missed kicks this year? There really are. Yeah. Uh, I, I've not done the full research yet. I'm looking forward to the end of the season once all the chips are down to, to really look at it and compare. But at first glance, there is a huge disparity yep. between how many kickers were over 80 85% last year and how many are wellowing underneath 80% this year. Fortunately for Green Bay, despite everything that Mason's been going through this year, he's having a career year right now. He hasn't had the most field goal attempts. but to make Yeah, 14, he hasn't had as many as he's had in other years, but his percentage is certainly way up there. To make 14 of 15 is really key, and I want to make this point too quickly. A lot of people and I'm not going to name names here, and it's not just local media, it's nationally, they're very quick to write, hey, Crosby has bounced back after an inconsistent 2018 season. I take a major objection to that. He had one god-awful, terrible, gotta-forget-about-a-game in Detroit. He had a brutal game. He He was one of four, one of five on field goals, and then he missed an extra point. Missed an extra point as well, yeah. 
If you take week six, and I tweeted this during the game, if you go back and you go from week six on, he's 33 of 36 in his last kicks. He actually managed to get his field goal percentage up to 81.8%. When you miss that many kicks in a game, yeah. that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Crosby did it. 35 years young, and he's still going at it here for Green Bay. Yeah, and I, I tell you, I've said it in Insider Inbox a couple of times. Kickers you can rely on, and not every kicker is going to make all the kicks. You get that part yeah. of it. But a kicker you can rely on and have confidence in is worth his weight in gold in this league. Just, just look at where the Carolina Panthers are right now because Fry missed the 28-yarder. Yeah. In New Orleans, they end up losing on a last-second field goal the other way, and then they blow a 14-point lead to Washington at home last week, and the Panthers' season is pretty much over. They're now yeah. they're now five and seven, having lost to the Packers, the Saints, and the Redskins, all very very late in the game, where for a lot of different reasons they couldn't pull things out. But I just I think that 28-yard missed kick by Fry at the Superdome in New Orleans just just took all the life out of Carolina. Was uh, was that Fry or Sly? Oh, I'm sorry. Sly. Sly. Okay, I was thinking, was there another kicker that they had too? And if they did, I'm that'd be interesting. I'm thinking of a baseball player named Fry, Fry I think. No, my bad. My you're bad. right. In going into that game against Green Bay, that was one of the things that I had written in one of the preview copy and with some of the things we were discussing. He was working through some things there. Yeah. And here's the thing, Mike. That position, it is – I don't want to, like, start throwing out, like – you know, golf cliches and tin cup and things like that. But <laughs> well, that's okay. I like tin yeah, cup. Yeah, but like the chili dipper, you know, reference yeah, in, in terms of you have that first one that goes wrong, you kind of laugh it off, and you get the second one that goes wrong, <laughs> and then you start to look in the mirror. The thing that I love about Mason Crosby, and that's what has allowed him to stick around this long and execute as well as he has, because coming out of Colorado, he had a ma- massive leg, right? That's yeah. why he was a six round pick. Oh, yeah. But it's the mental fortitude and disposition and mentality to go out day after day, trust your process. And the, he talks about that a lot. It's not, it's more than a cliche. That's the truth. Yeah. Trust your process. That's what allowed him to get through 2012, which is eons ago now. Yeah. And go on to have really successful 13, 14, 15, 16, and then be in a position now. We'll see how this all shakes out. But I think you can make a really good case. You you know this could be his best case right now for a Pro Bowl type season. Yeah, I I would I would. Zane love Gonzalez to see, is having a great year in yeah. Arizona, but I mean, I would I would love I would love it. to see that happen for Crosby. And it cracks me up when people always continue to mention 2012 yeah. with him because he's now actually kicked more seasons Isn't since then yeah. than he did leading up to that that uh, off year in 2012. But I totally agree with you about last year as well that people point to that as an off year no it was it was a bad game and uh yeah since then the guy's been rock solid yeah i mean if you throw i mean brett Favre, one of his luckiest things ever is when he threw in inter- seven interceptions against the Ram- the rams all those years ago in the playoffs that wasn't six, in the, six of them six actually of them. yeah there, that wasn't during the regular season it didn't count right it doesn't total. it doesn't count towards the, the record that he holds anyway <laughs> yeah. but yes continue but in terms of what his season would have looked right like that yeah year, absolutely. that's an unfortunate thing for mason as it happened when it did but if you look at it, Mike, up until 2012, he was escalating every year. Improvement, improvement, improvement. Had his best season in 2011 statistically. Struggles in 12, and then found himself yeah. and came out better for it on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mentioned Carolina losing to Washington this past week, and we will talk a lot more about Washington on tomorrow's yeah. show as we start to preview Sunday's game at Lambeau Field. But we do need to, as I promised on yesterday's show, we would get to where things sit in the NFC as far as the whole playoff picture. Coming off of Monday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks beat the Minnesota Vikings, whale of a football game, 
Yeah. Um, amazing game, really. Very entertaining. Seattle gets the win. Seattle improves to 10-2. and two. The Vikings fall to 8-4. and four. So the Packers are back to their one-game lead over Minnesota in the NFC North. A few consequences to this as far as um, the Packers and, and the picture are concerned. As far as the big picture goes, Seattle now technically is leading the NFC West. They're tied with San Francisco at 10-2, and two, but they beat them in the one head-to-head game yeah. to this point, which actually, if you do that whole if the season ended today, which I always think is kind of silly because it doesn't, but for the purposes of discussion, the well, let's 10 do and, it anyway. <laughs> the 10-2 and two 49ers are actually the five seed because they yeah. would be a wild card at this stage of things. And the other thing that this result does for the Packers, not that you want to think of it in this terms because you're shooting for the moon, you're going, you're trying to get get into the playoffs and get the best seed you can. But the Packers can actually win the NFC North without having to beat Minnesota again. If the Packers beat Washington, Chicago, and Detroit, they will be NFC North champs. The Packers are at the stage now where if they get to 12 wins, whether it's by winning the other three or whether it's by beating Minnesota along the way. However, the Packers get to 12 wins. 12 wins wins the NFC North for Green Bay right yeah. now because of the tiebreaker situation. Yeah, and here's <clears throat> I'm not trying to actually just regurgitate the the win, you know, 1 and 0. Let's focus on this week mentality, yeah. but the reason I say that is because the Packers did what they were supposed to do against the Giants. They need to replicate that again now against Washington. Absolutely. That has to happen. But that Bears game is looking a lot different now with the way that they're starting to pull themselves together. If you get Akeem Hicks back for that game, that is a big, big boost for their defense. Yeah. And then you're going to have a test there going into Minnesota. But the reason I want to bring that up is I like the way this aligns for Green Bay. You get a chance here against the Giants, and if you take care of business against Washington to get yourselves on a winning streak to start feeling good about yourself, then you're going to have a step up in competition, as it looks like on paper right now, with Chicago. And then you're going to go another step versus Minnesota, and then you see where the chips are and then go into Detroit, hopefully in a situation where you can either tie some things up or if everything else works out okay, maybe you're looking to kind of do a mini run the table here going into the playoffs, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Sure. Minnesota still is incredibly dangerous. Now, the thing that stood out to me in this game, other than just a Jekyll and Hyde first half and second half performance, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's the offensive line, I don't know exactly what the construct is, they are having a difficult time getting the run game going in these last three, two or three games. Yeah. So much attention is put on Kirk Cousins, and they are going to beat that storyline to death oh, going my goodness. into Monday the Night whole, Football. The whole Monday Night thing, yeah, we're going to be hearing about that. Uh, all the way leading up to that uh, December 23rd game at U.S. Bank Stadium. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins has got to get tired of that for sure. And here's the thing. He needs to play better, no question. There were mistakes made down the stretch. But if Minnesota can't get Delvin Cook going here, and we got to see what the status is with his injury and this clavicle and everything that's going on, you can only put so much of this on Cousins' shoulders. I've been trying to say all year long, and I know there's a lot of Vikings fans that watch the show, but I've been trying to say all year long, Kirk Cousins is a good, great quarterback in this league. Much like the kicker conversation, there aren't a whole lot of guys on the level of Kirk Cousins, but he has flaws. 99.9% of the quarterbacks in this league at any given time have flaws. And 
the problem for Minnesota is when they lose, when he struggles, they just don't have the people picking him up. Mm-hmm. I thought in the first half you saw that. I thought when they got the forced fumble in return for a touchdown, or I think it was a fumble, right? Would you, would you count that? As it was an interception. interception. Yeah, the, yeah, the ball was deflected a he couple of times. He deflected it, and then it got Yeah, it was off. deflected a couple of times, but then it was picked off before it hit the ground. Yeah, yeah. that's where the turning point was for me in that game. Yeah. I thought, okay, Minnesota, this is what they need. And then they come out flat in the second half. Seattle's dangerous, and they challenged Russell Wilson to throw from the pocket. He accepted that challenge and did a lot of damage during those last 30 minutes. Yeah, I took two things out of that Minnesota-Seattle game. One is that I think both of those teams will be playing in January, and both of them will be very tough outs in January, no question about it. The other thing is that I don't – Yes, it has it has major impact in the standings, the seedings, the records, and all that kind of stuff. The fact that Seattle won the game, I don't put a whole lot into okay, Seattle won and they're just better than Minnesota because for a couple of reasons. One, it was a primetime game on the road for the Vikings, which just ask the New England Patriots going down to Houston. Primetime games on the road, ask the Packers going to San Francisco. Yeah. Those are the toughest games in this league to win yeah. when you have to be on the road at night. But the other thing I'll say is just look at the way that game went, Wes. That game was completely dictated by the turnovers. Minnesota gets the pick six. They're in control of the game. The second half, Dalvin Cook fumbles. Cousins throws a pick. Mm -hmm. Seattle gets all the momentum and starts going the other way. And Seattle's on the verge of putting that game away, and DK Metcalf fumbles. And all of a sudden, Minnesota then starts to rally and ends up with a shot at the the comeback at the end. That that game was – that game – just screamed how huge turnovers are in the NFL and how they affect games because it was just going back and forth that way. And that's the one thing I will say about the Packers, and you talk about flaws. I know the Packers have their flaws. They have their flaws on both sides of the ball. But the thing that they have done so well this year is offensively they they have protected the football and defensively they have taken it away. And that is a way that you can win any game yeah. you have to play in this league. And that's what the Packers are going to take with them into the stretch run and hopefully into January, into the postseason, is that they are a team that way more often than not wins the turnover battle. And, uh, and you know, that's, that, that's why this is, the, this is the greatest anything can happen league. Yeah, it is, Mike. And the thing that I think sometimes fans get blindsided by, and I, and I don't understand why, because it's been two years since the Packers have really played winning football. You are nine and three right now. Mm-hmm. You are a good team with flaws. There's a huge difference right now in this league being a great team with some flaws as opposed to being a bad football team. Yeah. There are bad football teams on every channel every Sunday. <laughs> you have to be thankful for where you're at. And the way this is, Mike, if you line up, if you take away all the team names, okay, I'm going to put them all up on your whiteboard. Yeah. You take away all the team names and you put down the last five, four or five games here on the schedule for all those teams. Which schedule are you taking? In a lot of cases, you're taking Green Bay's when you look at what yeah. New Orleans is dealing with, when you look at what Seattle has coming up, and when you look at San Francisco. Oh, and then, by the way, you got the Rams trying to factor into all this as well. And they, ca- and they kept up. themselves very much in the very thick of things so. with a win over Arizona and the fact that Minnesota lost. The Rams are now only one game behind the Vikings and, and two games behind the Packers at 7-5. and five. They're lingering. They, ha- they have a tough schedule, but they are the defending conference champs, and if they get going, look out. Yeah, and this is where I think for Green Bay's sake, I, again, I don't want to just preach this 1-0 thing. I, don't wanna, I know fans sometimes get tired of that, but 
if you just control what you can control in front of you, if you can get to 12 and 4, 13 and 3, I wrote this in inbox this morning. Good things are going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. It's just all going to line up. I mean, those C's are going to part. Now, you need a little bit of help to get in the buy conversation, but right. 13 wins has you in that orbit. And it starts and continues on Sunday against Washington. Yeah, Sunday against Washington. And as you say, it will be one at a time. And we will get to our discussion of Washington on tomorrow's show in a little more detail. For now, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and check out the Packers YouTube channel. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.